Coming up this time, memories of a classic post-match interview with Cluffy. And I thought, I've got to make this easy. So I said, did you play badly because in 10 days' time you're at Wembley for the Football League Cup? No, only Albert is sure of his place on the coach to Wembley. Well, having done my homework, as I always did, they didn't have an Albert. So I said, we haven't got an Albert. Yes, we have. He's the driver. Oh, no, (laughs) you know. There were 11 million people watching this interview and yeah. I, I, I lost my cool. You'll hear about a special get well message from the Miracle Manager. When I got home after a week in a private hospital, there was a letter from Brian Clough and he didn't write that many letters. We just said, get well soon. We love you, Barbara and Brian Clough. And I've still got that and it's something I'll treasure. And we're remembering the charisma that made Cluffy a natural on TV. But suddenly, somebody would say Clough's on, and you could hear a pin drop. Everybody wanted to hear what he was going to come out with. He was just such a magnetic draw. Hi, it's Tony Woodcock here. You're listening to The Green Jumper Pod with Marcus Alton. People in shops, ladies, say he comes across as a nice person, and he is what he is. This is the Green Jumper podcast with myself, Marcus Alton, from the tribute website, brianclough.com. And my guest today is a legend of sports broadcasting, a man who interviewed Brian Clough many times and, in fact, received a kiss on the cheek from Cluffy on live TV. He's now written about his encounters with a host of sports stars in a book looking back at his career spanning 50 years. It's a warm welcome to Gary Newborn. Thank you. Good to be with you. We'll talk about that cluffy kiss in a little while. But uh, first of all, the whole of the first chapter of your book is about Brian Clough. What was it like interviewing him on television? Uh, You had to be on your toes because you would never know what he would come out with. And that was really one of his main attractions to the public, I think, that he was outrageous um, and he would always get people watching him. I I remember when I first came to the Midlands from Westwood Television, I joined ATV in December 1971. I was soon going into the social clubs to see people that I wanted to interview. And I remember going into the Birmingham City uh, packed social club. They had social clubs in those days rather than all the boxes and everything else that's followed. And there was Jeff Lynne from the ELO. There was Roy Wood from The Move. There were so many stars in there. And they'd all be talking. and, And... taking no notice of the lunchtime TV programmes on the ball and football focus on ITV and BBC, respectively. But suddenly, somebody would say, Clough's on, and you could hear a pin drop. Everybody wanted to hear what he was going to come out with. He was just such a magnetic draw. Yeah. Now, you've, as I mentioned, you've interviewed many sports stars and celebrities over the years. Where does Cluffy rank amongst them all? At the top, um, I've interviewed Muhammad Ali three times, Pele at seven different World Cups that I attended, Olympic stars, Carl Lewis, all sorts of, you name them. And over the years, I've interviewed them. Clough is the number one. And I've said that in my book. And I decided with this book, Newborn Bloody Hell, which is named after a famous interview that I did with Alex Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson, when he said football bloody hell, um, I decided that the first two chapters would be one about Clough and two about Sir Alex Ferguson and then get into my story because my business has always been about interviewing or presenting big shows but interviewing big stars and, you know, in a way they're more important than I am. You worked for the local television station, ATV, uh, and and Cluffy always made sure that, that the local reporter 
got an interview. You were among that that trusted group of uh, of media. How important was that to you? Very important, Marcus, because uh, Clough did look after all of us local guys, um, whereas I don't think other managers thought about it. And he once said after an interview when they got to the League Cup final, and I did ITV as well, obviously I was on the network as well, and on this network match at Spurs, before I got to know Alex Ferguson very well, I said to Clough, I'm really pleased for you that you got to the Football League Cup final. This was after an old First Division match. And he said, hey, I'm pleased for you too because you're on our patch. <laughs> and actually, funny enough, Ferguson, who was a, a studio guest for ITV that day, was quite upset. What was, he thought I was biased. And he was asking people, what does he mean? He, he's on our patch. Um, so I had to explain <laughs> Cluffy's yeah. loyalty to the local reporters. And by the way, Ferguson was brilliant with me. He went on to be loyal to me as well. So it wasn't just exclusive to Clough, but Clough was something special in that relationship. Yeah, yeah. You, you built up a wonderful uh, working relationship with him. And, and on one occasion, I think, you introduced your dad to Brian. How, how did that go? Yeah, my, my father, um, who sadly died at 62 um, from a heart attack, he, he survived 40 operations in the war in the RAF going over Germany and so on. And, and in the slowest plane in the war, he was very lucky to live and I wouldn't be here otherwise. And that was in the Hanley Page, Hanley Page Hamden, nicknamed the Flying Coffin. They had to take it out in 42. But my dad wasn't into football. He was into cricket. Uh, and boxing in particular, which is where I got my love of boxing from. But the 1966 World Cup, like a lot of his generation, converted him to football, and suddenly he was watching it all, and he was obviously watching my progress on television. And one day when um, it was, uh, I think it was the quarterfinal, Slovan, Bratislava, Derby, when Clough was at Derby in the European Cup, uh, I invited my dad because I was doing it for ITV, the interviews, and I... I in, I sort of said to Dad, do you want to come and sit with me? And he said, oh, yeah, I'd love to. So before the match, I introduced him to Brian Clough, who was his normal, charming self. And after the match, a Clough walked past me and said, hey, come with me. And I started walking towards the dressing room. He said, no, not you, your dad. Come on, Jack. I introduced him, <laughs> he remembered his name. And, and, and he took my dad in there. And my dad was introduced to all the players. He was looking at these signs. Clough, he was explaining, you know, football uh, his football sayings like the greatest crime in football is to give the ball away. And another one that said, God didn't invent grass to play football in the air and things like that. My dad was fascinated. And he asked my dad about his career and about his, his business that he built up with my mother. And I was getting very worried because we were getting near the deadline now. And I thought, oh my goodness, am I going to get this on air on midweek sports special? And suddenly he came out and he turned around to my dad and said, Jack, we've got to do some work now with your son. And he turned to me and he said, by the way, Gary, I much prefer your father to you. You know, my <laughs> dad, who was five seven, was about six foot two by this stage. Oh. And I was really grateful to Cluffy for doing that. It meant so much to my dad. It meant so much to me as well. Yeah. Soft thing, silly thing, but one of those things that is important in family life. Yeah, definitely. A great memory. And one of the memorable TV moments, I think, came in 1978 when Brian presented an award to a very young Trevor Francis. Uh, and you, I think yes. you, were ho you were hosting that event. I was indeed. Um, what it was, uh, I formed in, um, round about that time, I'd formed the uh, Midland Soccer Riots because I was fed up with always having to go to London. <laughs> and uh, all the journalists, 
and a lot of businessmen joined it. And we had a lot of star speakers in a restaurant that doesn't exist now called Lorenzo's. Um, and I decided, uh, with ATV's backing, to use the big Crossroads studio and have the Midlands Player of the Year. The first one was won by Charlie George, of, I remember, of um, oh, yeah. uh, Derby County. And then Brian Robson won the young one from West Bromwich Albion. In the following year, I asked Cluffy to do the presentations. He always did those things for me brilliantly on television. And um, Trevor Francis of Birmingham City won the young player of of the award and he was a bit nervous Trev and he came up with his hands in his pocket and Brian Clough said you are a very talented young man now if you kindly take your hands out your pockets I'll uh, present you with this trophy and of course a year later that was I think that was 78 a year later he signed him for the first million pound footballer it was a million pounds by the way they always talk about a pound under but by the time you add the levy and everything else it was over a million uh-huh. And talking about the European Cup, uh, which obviously Francis, his goal won it for, for Forrest uh, in uh, yeah. 79. Another one of your interviews led to a, a classic Clough quote after Forrest had drawn three all with Cologne in the um, in the European yeah. Cup semi-final. Uh, do, do you remember that? I do indeed, because it was on midweek sports special again. A Japanese uh, substitute came on, you know, with headlines the next day were... You know, Forrest sunk by Japanese sub, which was quite a good headline, actually. Yeah. Um, I couldn't do that in this woke world now, but it was a good one at the time. Um, what I would say is that I thought they—I thought the away goal by Cologne um, had done it. And in fact, if Shilton hadn't made a, a great save in the uh, away leg, maybe they wouldn't have made it. But they did mm. make it, and that's all that matters. So it was 3-3. Three, three, and I thought, well, they've done it now. They're not going to win in Cologne, probably. And and those three away goals, you know, they counted when the scores were level after two legs. Anyway, I sort of put it to Brian, and he said, I hope nobody is silly enough to write us off. And anyway, after the return match, when they won 1-0, Ian Bowyer scoring the goal that put them in the final, the 1-0 win in Cologne, Cloughy, after the match, was walking around the track there was an athletics track around the pitch on his own. And he called me over and said, hey, come here. Now then. And he put his arm through mine and walked me around. He said, when we drew 3-3 at our place, and I said, I hope nobody's silly enough to write us off. And you dropped your microphone. And Brian Moore fell off his stool in London in the studio. <laughs> you know what I mean now? I'll see you at the airport. Good luck. Get off. <laughs> and that yeah. was uh, me put in my place. Brilliant, brilliant. You you mentioned there with with the the Japanese sub and and things that you probably wouldn't be able to say these days. I mean, I remember those classic programs, Star Soccer with yourself and and Hugh Johns. No social media in those days. That's how we got our our football. If if we didn't go to the match, what do you think? Sure. What do you think Cluffy would have made of today's game and all the social media coverage and all, and all that sort of thing? He would still have been a winner, but I don't think for one moment he would have coped with football agents. He certainly wouldn't, like me, have done social media, um, but he would have still have been a great manager. As long as one thing that people must never forget, he and Peter Taylor were great together, not so good on their own, as history has proved. So as long as those two, they would have been the best managers by far, apart from uh, Sir Alf Ramsey that England would ever have had. I mean, you know, give Ramsey his due, he won the World Cup. 
Uh, I know Gareth Southgate very well. In fact, I went to his wedding in 1997. I think he's a great England manager. Uh, he has to win the World Cup. He's getting closer and people must be more patient. And he's got some very good players. But the problem with England and Clough was that they couldn't handle him. You know, they were, there was all these... It wasn't as professional as it is today. And they had all these amateur directors and, and FA committee men who, who couldn't handle Brian. And they were frightened of him and frightened what he would say and do. It's an absolute travesty that Clough and Taylor were never England managers. Mm. We'd have won the World Cup or been very close to it. Obviously, Clough did rebuild the Forest side on his own quite a few times uh, and several cup finals at, at Wembley as well. And talking of um, the cup final in 1990, a League Cup final, I think... You're talking about a League Cup because he never won the he, FA Cup. No, he didn't, yeah. win, he didn't win the FA Cup in the end, unfortunately. But... You interviewed him a few days before the League Cup final, um, and that's where the, the cluffy kiss came about, I think. Yeah, it was a league match at Goodison Park, and they played really badly, and uh, Everton had pretty big win by Forest Standers. And before the match, we only had 30 seconds for an interview because we were going into news at 10, mm. and that was allowing for a little bit of stoppage time. So... The boys said, who do you want to interview? And I said, well, Clough. So I went down a very small corridor at Goodison Park in the tunnel. And I went down and, and I saw Brian. He said, hey, come in. And I'd just come back from doing a fight, a boxing match in Thailand. And, and, and I found a syndicated... I didn't write this in the book, this bit, actually. I don't think I did. Hmm. I found a syndicated article in Thai at the airport, but there was a cartoon of Clough. So I presume it was his. So I cut it out. thought that might be useful. Got to Heathrow, had a quick shower. Flew up as you could to Man uh, to uh, Liverpool, and uh, I saw Clough, and I gave it him. He said, "Hey, uh, interesting. Now, what are you doing?" So I said, "I want to talk to you." So he said, "Come in," and I remember him offering me a drink in the dressing room for them. Um, and I said, "No, I don't drink shorts, mate. Thanks." And he said, "What do you want?" And I said, "I want an interview with you afterwards, but only thirty seconds." And he said, "Win, draw, or lose." And I said, "Whatever the result." Mm -hmm. Well, they lost 4-0 or whatever it was. And I thought, oh, God. And and Trevor East, the editor, is saying, are you sure you're going to get him? Yeah, yeah, he'll definitely do it. He always keeps his word, which he did. Mm. So anyway, he comes over to me. And I thought, I've got to make this easy. So I said, did you play badly because in 10 days' time you're at Wembley for the Football League Cup? Final? No, only Albert is sure of his place on the coach to Wembley. Well, having done my homework, as I always did, they didn't have an Albert. So I said, we haven't got an Albert. Yes, we have. He's the driver. Oh, no. <laughs> you know, there were 11 million people watching this interview. And yeah. I, I I lost my cool, strangely, which I don't, don't normally do that. I was a bit stung. So I got a bit aggressive. And I, I pushed him. And then I went over the limit. Mm. I mean, everyone's screaming at me. And Cluffy knew that the floor manager, Stan Harding, was going potty pushing me and shut up sort of thing. Yeah. And Cluffy got out of it because he said, because I'd said, why were you so bad? You know, I'm getting to this stage. And he said, because our lot are a bunch of pansies like you and me and grabbed me and gave me this huge kiss. And unfortunately, there is a shot of me all over the place. It completely threw me. <laughs> and then the press, the press were ordered by their sports editors who'd been watching it live in London to come around and ask me if he'd been drinking. And, and he had, and, and he, they came around and I said, you know, was he drinking? I said, no, he just loves me, you see. But apparently I did find out later that Northern 
Northern comedians were giving a rather cruder version, which I wouldn't dream of uh, saying on your podcast. No, no. Well, that that did show another softer side of him, I, I suppose. And, and you saw that again, I think, uh, many years later when you suffered a stroke, uh, I think with yeah. about 2002. Yeah, it was, uh, Marcus, 2002, February the 2nd. I'll never forget it. I had a stroke. I was about to cover the Manchester United match. I had one or two warnings, and I thought I could shake it off. My wife had pleaded me not to go and do the Manchester United game. So I compromised, went up on the train, and stayed in the Lowry. I felt a bit rough the night before, but, you know, because I was stupid, I thought I could shake it off. Mm. Anyway, the next day, I'm all over the place. I've lost the room. I'm feeling sick. I know I'm in trouble. Mm. So I rang Jeff Farmer, and I said, look, you know, I need to – I can't do the I can't do the program. I'm ill, and he knew that if I was missing a program, I was really ill. I got a driver called Archie that looked after us to drive me back. I had the stroke while I was asleep in the car. To cut a long story short, I recovered. I was very lucky. I'd lost everything, but by the time I got home, speech side of my body, I got it all back without an operation. They thought I'd need a big bypass. When I'm recovering, when I got home after a week in a private hospital. There was a letter from Brian Clough, and he didn't write that many letters. We just said, get well soon. We love you, Barbara and Brian Clough. And I've still got that, and it's something I'll treasure for the rest of my days. I had Alex Ferguson on the phone several times. I had lots of letters from people in in football and commentators and things, but that letter from Cloughy uh, is a bit special. I bet it is. Yeah. Have you framed it? I haven't framed it. I will do. I haven't got any yeah. space at home at the moment. But I will, yeah. when I find it again, my office is in a bit of a mess at yeah. the moment because of time. But when I've cleared yeah. up, I will. I will get it framed. It's a, it's a very special yes. letter, actually. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I know writing a book is a is a a huge process. I've I've just written a book about Cluffy and a really time consuming. And how did you find the process of sort of writing down all your memories, especially when you you know you're covering a a career spanning 50 years? Well, I vowed I'd never do this book, but the pressure, the incentive for doing it was that my wife and my kids were banging on about, we've got no record of your 50 years in television, you've got to write a book. And in the the end, I decided to write it. And about a year ago, I signed a contract with Bite Back Publishing, and uh, a very good company. And I've been so busy. I mean, I'm I'm an idiot, really. I'm 78, and I don't have to work. I've been had a great career and been very lucky, but I need to mentally, and I push myself too hard. So with three months to go, I haven't written a word, mm. and I always hit the deadline. I did hit the deadline, but I came up in a very hard school of journalism. I worked for an agency when I, as an apprentice when I left school in Cambridge, my home city, and then I went to Haters, which is a really tough. It was in those days, so I. I learned to write quickly. I write two columns a week in the Birmingham Coventry papers and in the Sunday Mercury, and I just bang them out every week. And so I just got in front of a typewriter, not a typewriter, crack, it's showing my age, in front of <laughs> yeah. my laptop, Yeah, got a Word document and just hammered away and had to check the odd fact, but most of it was in my head. I, I, I was, I, I've got a good memory, and I'm just amazed how much I remembered. And I wrote... 336 pages wow. so it was 93,000 words the book is oh, but yeah. it does I'm a tabloid man I worked for the Sunday Mirror in the great days when they sold 8 million copies I did the rugby and tennis for them and um, I, when I was working at Haters I sometimes went to Chelsea to do a floodlit match 
never wrote a word because I, I had to do it for about 14 regional papers. I was the only guy in the press box. Mm-hmm. And actually, funny enough, I, I used to have to ask the linesman who scored sometimes. I was on the phone. <laughs> yeah. And I, one, one, once at Chelsea, I had to um, climb out the ground because they'd locked up. And I used to use a cigarette lighter. Did, didn't smoke cigarettes. Did smoke cigars, stupidly. But, but I used to have a lighter... Yeah, I was a single guy for lighting ladies' cigarettes on a night out or something. Yes. So I used that to the reports. The point I'm making about this, Marcus, is it taught me so much about journalism, but I have a tabloid style. So this book, I'm told, is easy to read, but it was also relatively easy to write. Looking back 2008, I was proud to see the unveiling of the, the Cluffy statue in Nottingham after setting up the fundraising yeah. group. Um uh, that raised the money for it, and you hosted the unveiling event in in the city yeah, centre. A great day. Yeah, it was a great day, but there was a story behind that. I was doing relatively late shows at at Sky, and uh, Keith Daniel, who organised it mm. very well, a great media company, used to work for me and my team in in Nottingham, a, a very good operator. Yeah, and he rang me Sky and said that Barbara Clough wasn't very happy with the person that would be doing the PA system and, and interviews and that Brian would have wanted me, Gary Newborn, to have done it. So I agreed to do it. I got, I had a driver in those days because I was, you know, because of my stroke. Yeah. And uh, I used to pay for that as ITV did. They were very kind. And I, when I got home, I said to Lofty, my driver, you'll have to pick me up at nine in the morning because we got rehearsals and we got this thing in Nottingham. They'd fax me as you had in those days, mm. the script. So I knew what I was doing, and it was going swimmingly well until I there were what thousands in the butter market. All the media were there, players, everything. It was going swimmingly well yeah. until I got to interview Councillor John Davis, the leader of the Nottingham Council. When I said, "So what did I don't know where this came from? So what did Brian Clough mean to the city of Birmingham?" <laughs> and there was loud booing, and I realised yeah. anyway. I recovered because yeah. I was experienced. Got through it. Yeah. Of course, I get on pretty well with the media, so the papers were quite fair to me. Uh, but the next day, obviously, they took the mickey out of me, sort of that. Anyway, two days later, just to finish this story, Marcus, two days later, I get a phone call from Ron Atkinson, my big mate, who's always asking me to help him with his quiz questions. He loves a quiz. Yeah. Hello, mate. Hello, Ron. What is it? Uh, and I, he said, uh, uh, do you know what the capital of Peru is? And I said, yeah, Lima. He said, how come you know that and you don't know where Nottingham is? And just put the phone down, you see. So that was quite funny, really. <laughs> yeah. Well, well thanks, um, thanks, yeah. thanks for what you did that day. It was, it was memorable, and I know you got to enjoy yeah, the former players. It was a privilege and, to do yeah. it. Um, I just have to ask you, you know, what, what's your lasting memory of Cluffy? Well, if you don't mind me being a bit patronising, there were four people who were really important to my career. Brian Clough. Sir Alex Ferguson, Chris Eubank, the boxer, and Jimmy Greaves, who I brought into television. Mm. But Clough is the guy that makes people laugh when I tell these stories at dinners. Clough is the man that really looked after me and sorted out to make sure that he knew the politics in ITV, that I was on the network. And uh, that's why I picked him as the first chapter. I'm very grateful to Alex Ferguson, don't get me wrong, mm. and Eubank and Jimmy Greaves, but that's why I picked Brian Clough as the opening chapter. Um, the most words, it's the longest chapter because Cluffy was very special in my life. 
Well, Newborn Bloody Hell, A Life in Sports Broadcasting is out now. Gary Newborn, thanks for sharing your stories today and, and thanks for all those special memories over the years. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Thanks again to Gary and thanks to you for listening. If you'd like to hear more Cluffy stories, then why not have a look at the previous editions of The Green Jumper? This is episode 65, so there are plenty more episodes to go at. Or you can get a copy of my latest Cluffy book. That's Brian Clough, The Lost Tapes. You'll find it on the brianclough.com website and I'll sign it personally for you as well. I hope you can join me again soon for more memories of the great man in the green jumper.